Thank you, Brother Leroy. Oh, good morning, New Life. I want you all to match Ray. I'm going to do, we're going to do it again, okay? And I'll tell you why in a minute when we read this scripture. Good morning, new life. Good morning. Oh, praise God. Thank you, Lord, for bringing everybody out this morning. All you youngins that we was talking about, come on up here. We got Miss Kathy teaching today. And it's great to have all of you all. Good morning, Miss Follow them on back. Oh, praise God. Yeah, we've been praying with and for Linda, haven't we? He's already shut me off. That was early. <laughs> well, anyway, we got a lot of folks that we're praying for. and Boy, I forgot to put the rest of the Brian chapters up there. Well, I'm just... I'm just falling behind, aren't I? Well, it's a wonderful day in the Lord. And uh, it's going to be a beautiful day today. The sun's shining. Everything's um, there. I want to know that, that song, Leroy. Hey, Leroy, don't, don't turn me off. <laughs> hey, thank you for that song, the old country church. Um, you know what we, we lovingly refer to as this is the church in the cornfield. Out in the middle of the cornfield, the Lord is working marvelous through his word and, and through his people, the body of Christ. And you all are a blessing to everyone. And thank you for everything that you do, for your prayers and for your help and for your taking care of folks and, and all that you do. And um, we've come together here together this day as the brothers and sisters in Christ, to worship and to praise God. We are his body. We are, we are what he lovingly gave, the Father gave, and he gave. It was for us. And uh, I want to start us off before we pray with the words of the psalmist and why I had us all to shout this morning. Because I want you to listen to what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 95 about worship and praise. He says this, O come. Everybody come and let us sing to the Lord. and Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. You think the Lord likes us shouting? I think so. He's told us there a couple times. Shout joyfully unto the Lord, the rock of our salvation, and gather together to praise him. For the Lord is the great God. He is the great king that is above all the little g-gods that everyone else might hold. He is the only true and living God. And in his hand, now listen to this. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are also his. But listen to this. He made the sea. His hand formed the dry land. Oh, come then. Let us worship and bow down and kneel before our the Lord, our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture. 
And you remember how I was talking a minute ago about everything that was in his hands and what his hands had done? Listen to this. Not only are we the people of his pasture, but it says that we are the sheep that is within his hand. And therefore, he says, today, if you will, would you not hear his voice and harden not your heart against his word? So, Father, we take this moment to bow before our maker. Our God, the great and awesome God. The Lord who created everything, who's in whose hands is not only the deep places in the hills, but also the sheep of his pasture. And Father, that reminds me of John 10. Boy, that, that scripture was on my heart this week. It was on my heart this week and I shared it with my brother-in-law. As, as we shared together because Father. The Lord said there that the Father. Has you in his hand. And he will not let you go under no reason. And then the Lord said and I also. Have placed you in my hand. And I will not let you go. No one can take you or remove you from my hand. And so if I'm in the hand and you are in the hand, we are in the hand of the Father and the Son, that's almost like a handshake of confirmation with us in the middle that there is nothing that can take us from the presence of God. And so, Father, you are our great God, and we love you so. We are here to sing your praises, to shout joyfully to you, to worship you. And Father, we bow and we thank you for your love that allowed your son to come on that cross. To die for our sins, Father, so that we might become the righteousness of Christ in him. And so, Father, we pray that as we have fellowship with you and your word that you have left for us, we pray that this fellowship with you will be pleasing in your sight and that the things that we say that we do in the worship will exalt you and give you all honor and praise and glory. And we thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. We've been making our way through the book of Zechariah, haven't we? If you want to, go ahead and turn there to, to Zechariah 8 and I'll be there in just a second. The last week we saw that the desire of those folks was to know the truth. And so that they could worship God in what is true. They, they had been doing some things that was, had become traditions of theirs that they had installed as a way to showing God that, that they loved him and they wanted to please him. And so at the... It was about because they had been taken into captivity and that they had failed him in a time. And the Lord God, they said, does he still want us to do these type of things? And so they went to the priests and the prophets to ask, what is the direction for us this day? And what we found out was, was that the prophet said, no, you don't have to continue in that. That is a, that is a thing that, is, that was good for the moment. But it's not necessary. What's necessary is to continue on in my word that we gave you. 
And we're going to see in a moment that in that next chapter, in chapter 8, he said, turn those days of fasting and weeping into shouting and into joy and into praise with me. And that's what we need to do is to, to know that there is a time of sorrow, but there is also a time of joy and to turn it over to God for all that he has done now. He, they said this, that uh, if you could sum up in, in one verse what the Lord desires from us, I think it would be in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22. Go ahead and scoop me a couple. Go ahead back one more. I, I'll just introduce what we're talking about. I'm going to be going through chapter 8 really quick because I want to get to chapter 9. But... Today we're talking about the burden of the word of the Lord. And if you can sum up all of it in one word of, of what the Lord wants, go ahead and give me that next one. And in 1 Samuel 15 and 22, it says, Does the Lord have a great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as much as he does in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed to the word of God is better than the fat of the rams. For you see what God's saying here is he wants our heart. And he wants us to worship. He wants us to obey from our heart unto him and, and to give him that praise. Not to just come and go through the motions. You know, an atheist could be invited to come and to participate in everything we do, but would his heart and mind be in it? No. He would be going through the motions to be pleasing to the person that invited him or to satisfy a curiosity. And he could go through the motions, but the heart was never there. And what the Lord is saying is sometimes we get involved with going through the motions and it becomes a habit or a ritual, but we lose the purpose. And the purpose is, is our heart. And to be thankful and joyful for what he's done for us. And to, to worship him in that way. Not just emotions. He could care less really about the sacrifices. He didn't need another lamb thrown on the altar or another bull or goat offered up. What he was looking for the whole time was your heart. And your worship unto him. And so that's where we're going to be uh, going with this lesson today is, is, is our heart in a worship to God. And we're going to move, like I said, really quick through chapter 8 and just kind of summarize it. And then move into chapter 9 because chapter 9 begins this, the last section of Zechariah. And it is filled with all kinds of really good stuff. And I'm hoping that... Um, for maybe for Easter, there, if you, we're not going to get there today, and that's why I'm, I think maybe the Lord's saving. I don't know if we'll be there or if he'll put something else on our hearts in a direction. But in the middle of that is the scriptures where it talks about Jesus the king returning and coming in on the foal of the donkey on that day uh, when he rides in right before his crucifixion as the true king of, of God's kingdom. And so that's pointing right to the cross that, that was happening. But in chapter 8, after those questions, when the men came, when, when Sheriazer and Rejimelech came and they asked that question of what we're supposed to do and the word of 
the Lord came to Zechariah and he kind of told him, no, you don't need to continue in those. Go back to my word. Go back to worshiping according to what I had told you. It says that again, the word of the Lord came to him. And thus saith the Lord of hosts. And I've told you before that that, that term Lord of hosts is a description term of who he is. But the word host, we look at it and think, what's a host? You know, that's like someone who's having a party and he's the host or she's the host. No, this word means army. It should be put on there, the Lord of the armies, because that means he's the Lord of the heavenly hosts and the gathering of his army. And you know, it's going to be used 17 times in chapter 18, or I mean chapter 8, 17 times the Lord of the hosts. He's impressing that upon it. The word of the Lord of the host comes in here. The one who commands the entire galaxy and the realm. And he says in verse 3, I'm going to return to Zion. You know, that was both then and it's going to happen again. All of these are pointing to, to the future when the Lord returns again to reign in that kingdom. And he says, I will return to Zion, that's like my headquarters spiritually, to Jerusalem, and it will be called the city of truth and the mountain of the, the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. And then he's, he says these are kingdom promises then. All of those terms are pointing to the kingdom, to, to what the Lord is really bringing about. They speak to us that God is still watching over his word to perform it because there's some stuff that has left to happen. The Lord has to come back for us, doesn't he? And the Lord has to have that, that time for where uh, the, the Jews get another chance. The kingdom of God as it was, the Hebrew nation, another chance to repent. And then there's going to be that battle where he throws Satan into that pit for a thousand years and he has that kingdom that he's going to reign with. So there's some things that has to come and take place and these words are pointing us towards that direction when he talks about the mountain and Zion and the holy hill and it's speaking of what's getting ready to take place and then down in verse 6 it says if this regathering and this regrouping if if the coming together for you back out of captivity and into Jerusalem and rebuilding the the city the temple and the walls if that is a marvelous thing in your eyes. I mean, they were rejoicing that they got this opportunity to do that. But he says, think how marvelous it will be in my eyes in that day, saith the Lord of hosts. You see, the Lord is looking forward. This was a portrait of what's going to happen in the future, of when he comes again for his kingdom, the spiritual kingdom, us, his church. So he says, if... If the physical gathering together is that marvelous in your eyes, think what it is in my eyes. Because he knew that he was going to die for us. That he was going to be able to be the God of our salvation as we read in Psalm 95. And he said, it's going to be a marvelous thing when I am able to come again in that spiritual kingdom to bring you all again with me. And so he was pointing to that day that's going to come. But as in that day and through history and our day, there's a lot of them that would not listen to that whenever he had cried out. But now those that had heard and listened and now 
They are returning, and the Lord is determined to good, do good to them. And this is the things that he asks of those. These are the things that you shall do. So in verse 16, he says, you know, they had asked, do we continue in those fasting days? And, and he said, no, I don't want you to continue in those. But here's what I want you to do that was from my word. I want every man to speak the truth unto his neighbor. Well, I got to thinking about that. These things that he's getting ready to ask of us, and it's only a couple little things, but he says, would this world not be wonderful if every person spoke the truth to you? Wouldn't it be nice that you wouldn't have to worry if there is some hidden agenda or is the newscaster telling me the truth? Is the TV, is the paper, is my neighbor, is, am I getting the truth or is this a cover-up? Wouldn't it be nice that every person, all of us in our interactions, that every man spoke the truth to his neighbor? Wouldn't that take a whole burden off of, off of your life? Speak the truth to your neighbor. Give judgments in your gate for truth and justice. You see at the city gate, even Lot, whenever he went into Sodom, pretty soon he was at the city gate and he was given judgments. The city gate is comparable to our courthouse square. That, that is where if you had some type of an issue or a problem, you, you brought it to court to those who would judge over that issue and render the judgment. So wouldn't it be nice to know that when we went to the gates of justice that it would always be served in truth and justice? That it wouldn't be that somebody else knew somebody or somebody else had money, friends, acquaintances, or the judge didn't really hear what the truth was or the right witness wasn't called. But wouldn't it be something if in our country that not only every person spoke the truth to each other, but if there ever was an issue that needed to be settled, that we could rely on and count on the integrity of the system of law to do what it was supposed to do and that it would always be right. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? May the judgments be in truth, justice, and peace. And then how about this one? Let, let not any one of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. We wouldn't have to lock the doors at night again, would we? I can remember whenever I was a kid that we didn't. That, that door was never locked. And if no one thought evil to do against their neighbor, it's almost like what Jesus said, that the entire law hinged upon loving God and your neighbor as yourself, doesn't it? Because if I love God and I love my neighbor as myself and I think no evil against my neighbor then I'm not going to have to worry about if they're going to steal, if they're going to kill, if they're going to destroy. That, those are the works of the devil, Jesus said. Wouldn't it be nice to live in a country where I knew that not one person thought evil of another and that we didn't have to worry about those things? And do not love a false oath. Don't say something false about someone else. 
Boy, that would settle almost all of the world's troubles, wouldn't it? If we just followed four little things from the Word of God on what He would like for us to do. And that's what His law really revolves around. It's not a law that is to hold us under the thumb. His laws were laws so that we could have freedom and so that we could have joy and peace and happiness and not worry about the things that goes on like they do today. And then he gets to the issue of what they had come to him again to, to make sure they understood in verse 19. He says, those fast days that you'd come up with, in the fourth month, the fifth month, the seventh month, and the tenth month, those four times, man, those, those things were things that you had your weeping and your breast beating and, and the sadness and not eating. He says, man, I've redeemed you. I'm bringing you into the land of promise. So stop doing that and make feast days. I gave you feast days to worship me in and to celebrate in. So go back to your feast days and go ahead and put away those fasting days. Quit fasting and start feasting. Rejoice, worship, celebrate, love, truth, and peace. Just like we started with today in Psalm 95. And then as we move into chapter 9, now is when the rubber's going to hit the road. Man, there's so much richness in this chapter. I, I was amazed as I studied it over the week. And I want to share only a snippet today that we have time with because all the way through there, there is so much undercurrent. When you look at the words that are used all the way through there, they're all pointers to different things in the Word of God. So how are we going to deal with... He's dealt with his people and they spent their 70 years in captivity, and now they're coming back to the land. But what about the other people, the other nations that know not God? How is God going to work on those that do not know him yet and have not humbled themselves and they've not heard the word? Here it is. And these things were happening in their times. They're for our times as well, and we'll see that in a minute. But Zechariah 9 and verse 1 begins like this. The burden of the word of the Lord. And that was our title for today. The burden of the word of the Lord against the land of Hadrach in Damascus, which is its resting place. For the eyes of men and all the tribes of Israel are on the Lord and what he's getting ready to do. Also against Hamath, which borders it, and against Tyre and Sidon, though they think they are very wise. For Tyre built herself a tower, heaped up silver like the dust and gold like the mire in the streets. Behold, the Lord will cast her out, and he will destroy her power in the sea, and she will be devoured by fire. And you think, man, that's some, that's some, almost some bad things coming. Why, why is the Lord saying that he's going to do that? Well, let's look at, first of all, Part of that rich language is the burden of the word of the Lord that came upon him. That word, masal. Masal. That means the burden. You see, the prophet and the pastor and, and everyone that is God's has a burden of the word of the Lord. What that burden is, is that you begin to realize that there's only one decision that matters. And that's do you know Christ Jesus and have you given your life to him or not? 
the burden of the word of the Lord is, is that God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and we became an everlasting living being from that breath. And there's going to be an everlasting home of the real us, that breath of God. And the burden of the word is, will you not believe in Jesus Christ and make that decision for him? Because if you don't, I know the burden of what happens if you do not commit yourself unto him. There's an everlasting place of a torment and there's an everlasting place in the heavenly realm for those who make that decision. And the burden of the Lord is to have folks believe that and to make that change so that they're not lost. And so the burden of the word of the Lord comes to the prophet against those who do not yet know the truth and have given their life unto the Lord. That's what, that's what he's saying that this burden is. It's an accountability of letting them know the options, not keeping it from them, but in love telling them what those options are and will you not act upon it. It's, a, it's actually, when you say it's a, boy, that's a heavy word, the burden of the Lord, that's what that word means. Because masab is a word that means a burden that you are carrying, but that over time it weighs you down. At first it may not be weighing you down, and you hear the word of God, and you're thinking, I've got time. I'm young. I don't, I don't need to worry about that. But the burden that the word of the Lord is designed to do, why that's called the heavy weight, is that it's made to humble us. It's made to actually finally wear you down to where you will believe and not trust in your own self and in your pride and in what you want to do. And so that word and that burden was coming upon these people in the land of Hadrach with Damascus. And, and that's the nations in Syria that's right around there. And Damascus is still a main city that is there. And all of the eyes one day will be again there because when Damascus goes, the prophets Isaiah and them said that when Damascus is destroyed, is going to be a part of that final war that's being waged at the end of time. And all eyes, and that's why this is still pointing to the end time as well as to their time, that all eyes of all the men and the tribes of Israel will be upon all of them. And then it says this, Tyre thought they were, that, that they were uh, wise. Tyre and Sidon thought that they were very wise and they're going to do something. They're going to reject that burden of the word of the Lord and they're going to build a tower and they're going to trust in their riches, we'll see in a moment. But that burden of the word of God that comes to us this day reads like this. Go ahead and give me the next slide, Miss Paula. In John... Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. John 3.18 He that believeth in the Lord Jesus Christ is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Mark 16, 16 says He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And this is the words of the Lord before he ascended. But he that believeth not 
shall be damned. That is a heavy burden of the word of the Lord that has to go out. And hopefully when people hear it, they will make the decision for that, that it will wear them down. But now as we move, go ahead and move on, as for Tyre, they, they rejected the Lord and the burden of the word. It says that they built a wall around them. They built a fortress. They, they put on there in, in uh, verse 3, they built a tower and they heaped up their riches. They were so rich from their resources and the blessings that they had had that silver was like dust in the field. Gold was like streets that were paved with it in huge chunks like the mire that's in the street. So they were saying basically we're untouchable. That this word and the burden of the Lord that you're giving to me doesn't really apply because we're untouchable. We've got everything we need. We're, we've got our riches. We've got our protection. And we have nothing that we need from you. And we are rejecting that word of the God that comes to us. And they wouldn't repent. So the Lord tells them in verse 4. Behold. Hine. And it means wow. You're not, you're not going to be able to believe it. Because you're refusing. But wow. Behold. It's not so. A surprise is coming. The Lord will cast you out. Now that word for casting out. Is another kingdom word. It's a, it's a word of promise. The word actually means to dispossess. And it went all the way through Deuteronomy and Joshua. It means that something was yours. Somebody else now has it. You were supposed to inherit it and have it. But somebody else now has control of it. And you want to get it back. You see, whenever Israel went into Egypt for those 400 years... The Lord had told him, you're going to return to that promised land that I gave you through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so all through Deuteronomy, when God had brought them out of Egypt and they're in the wilderness, he kept saying, when I give you the land of Canaan, I've already given it to you. Joshua said, the Lord already gave it, let's go just take it. You see, that's this word of dispossessing. It was theirs. Somebody else had it, but they are getting it back. And that's what this word is. It's a kingdom word for, for when the Lord is coming back to reclaim what was lost in the fall. That begins in Revelation chapter 5 whenever it says that the Lord God sat upon his throne and he had a scroll in his hand and they looked around for somebody that was worthy to open that up. And the description of that scroll, that seven-sealed scroll is a description from the book of Jeremiah as a property deed. And so this is the deed to the earth, the kingdom. And it's looked around and said, who is worthy? And they, they began crying because there was none that was found worthy among them, not in the heavenly realm, not on earth, not even under the earth. And they said, there is none worthy. And John began to cry. And that old song, it says, there's no tears in heaven. The angel told him, said, quit crying. Stop crying, John, because we've found one that's worthy. And he said, who? And he said, it's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And John began to look around, but he didn't see a lion. You know what he saw? He saw the lamb. And it was a lamb as if it had been slain. 
And because it had been slain, that blood on the cross made him to be worthy to accept that scroll from the hand of God to come back and reclaim his, his earth. So, and that's going to happen. And these, this word points to that, the affirmation that this is absolutely going to happen as a truth. The same way that we can say that it happened in that day when Alexander the Great came in and destroyed that city. You see, they thought that they were safe and was untouchable. But Alexander, there had been other, other nations and other armies that tried to come up against them. And they just waited it out because they were in a part of the sea. And you had to try to come through the sea. And they had this huge tower and wall built. And you couldn't battle them. And they had everything inside that they needed. And they would laugh. Alexander said, oh, no, no. He spent several months moving earth. And he took the earth from the regular part of the continent and made a bulwark all the way out and all the way up. And they just sat there and watched as he made a road that went all the way up to the top and he went in and conquered them. And what the word of God is saying is just the same that the nations of the world think that they can reject God and his word and we can do what we want to do. The devil thinks he's untouchable in that respect. And God says, I beg to differ. I'm going to cast you out. In another way, I'm going to dispossess you from what you gained at that time. And my son is going to take repossession of it. And the way that we can know that this is a truth in that kingdom language that's being given is he says, he will cast her out and destroy her power in the sea and it will be devoured by fire. How was the earth destroyed the first time? By the flood, by water. How's it going to be destroyed the second time? Do you see how these are pointer words? And, and, and here it's pointing to the future because they weren't destroyed by the water. The water prepared a way that their power, their fortress... And their riches could be overcome, but they were destroyed by the fire. So this is pointing to that end of time things. And we can rest assured that it will happen because it happened here just the way God's word said that it would. So now for us, you and I, our application for us today that we take home and that we gain is this, the real depth going forward before we go to the rest of chapter 9 means that we need to go to the book of 2 Peter chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, as we get ready to use this as the last section today, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, and we'll see the burden of the word of the Lord for us, the church, today as we live in this world. What this chapter is going to tell us is why it hadn't happened yet. It's why... Why the Lord has not yet come to reclaim what is rightfully his. Even though he's being laughed at by all those who don't believe in him. Second Peter chapter 3. This was written by the Lord's apostle to us. Because he writes to us saying beloved. That's his church. That's the body of Christ. That's his brothers and sisters. He says I am writing you in this second time in this second epistle. 
in order to stir up your minds by way of remembrance. And so what he's doing is he wants us to remember something, to be reminded. Don't you ever forget this fact. He says, I want you to remember something that's important. And it goes way back. It says that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. So didn't I tell you that the word of God that we're studying back here was important to us today? He's saying, I want you to be reminded of what they said and what happened because it's important. Because they are facts. And if they were facts and they're truths, that means they're truths for us in what it was pointing to in our day. He said, the, the holy prophets before, like Zechariah, like Jeremiah, like Isaiah. He said, they were writing something that was for your learning and understanding that was important to know. When God spoke to them, he was speaking also to us today. And now, I, the apostle of the Lord Jesus, am reminding you of these things. You see, the Bible's one continuous message from front to back. It's, it's all interconnected and meaning. And then he says, in the last days, in verse 3, you, knowing this first. So the first thing that he's going to put out there is that in the last days, and we are in that. If you go to John, it says that, brother, we are in the last hours in the, in the epistle of First and Second John. We're not only in the last days. We're, he said then we're in the last hours. That means we are in the last minutes or seconds of the end of time. He said in that time scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust. Do you think that's happening today? What's happening? We were just discussing this morning before we began. Can you believe what Disney is doing? Have you been watching the news and hearing what Disney is doing? Do you, that was supposed to be kids and Mickey Mouse, wasn't it? Now they are promoting things that are abomination unto God. And wanting it to be taught to our kids. Scoffers are mocking the word of God today. Why are they mocking the word of God? Why? Because they have no fear. What does verse 4 say? They say that I can do this and scoff and walk in my own lusts because where is the promise of his coming? <laughs> in other words, they're saying, I've heard that all my life. Ever since I've been born, people tried to scare me whenever I was young. Oh, the Lord's coming again. Oh, you better be afraid of what's going on. Oh, you can't do... He said, we've, they've been saying that since the beginning and he's still not here. And where is your God? Is he asleep? Is he not talking anymore? I don't believe him. Fixing to find out. But God's, God's waiting, but they're scoffing and they're saying from the beginning of time, we ain't seen no change. Day goes on to day, week goes on to week, year to year, and how many centuries are we into this now and nothing's changed? So why do I have to be afraid? Why should I fear? Why can I not do and flaunt what I want to do because this is my life and I don't have to report to some fallacy 
that's not true. It's never showed and, and raised its head in my lifetime or any of this time before. They say that since the fathers fell asleep, all the generations from the beginning of time, yada, 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 you've been telling me. How you like that little New York thing? Yada, 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 you've been telling, telling us this, and I don't buy it anymore. Peter, though, goes on to say in verse 5, did you willfully forget something? Did you willfully forget? You're saying that since the beginning of time, everything's moved on just the same as it always has. But he says, I beg to differ. You should have stayed in Sunday school. You should have been back here with the kids whenever they learned about Noah and that flood. You should have at least read through the first seven chapters of Genesis to see what I did. Because when the world started scoffing and became evil and totally perverted, then I came and destroyed it. Things have not gone on the same from the beginning of time. I told him I was going to do it. He said in chapter 6 of Genesis that my spirit will not always strive with man even though they are flesh, and there's a long story behind Genesis 6, but he says 120 years will be the time. So it wasn't that God set an age limit because Methuselah and all those had been 900 years. What God was saying is, I am given the burden of the word of the Lord 120 years for people to repent while the ark is a preparing. And God saw that Noah was that righteous man that was only one walking after his ways and he was also the only one who was perfect in his generations. And that's why chapter 5 went from Adam to Noah. And he was perfect in his generations of, of human being. And so the 120 years was given as a grace period. Grace always comes before the judgment or the destruction. And so that 120 years was a grace period where the heavy burden of the word of the Lord went out of what was going to happen. And the ark was a symbol as it was being prepared that it will happen. And they scoffed at him and they laughed at him and it's never rained. What are you talking about this? But it happened. And Peter said, so something that you are willfully forgetting is I made a promise and I kept it. And what I'm trying to tell you is, is that the same word of the Lord that made that promise and then executed it is the same word of the Lord that is holding all things together this earth waiting for that day when I will come and destroy it the second time by fire. He said, they forget that the, word, the world was flooded that then existed perished by water. Go ahead and give me the next one because I know I'm all over the place. But the heavens and the earth which are now, what we are living in now, are preserved by the same word of God. Reserved for fire. So God is preserving it for what it is reserved for. How many of you have ever went out for some occasion that you had to make reservations? You know, it says, you know, reserve, give me a reservation. Uh, if you want to be there, right? Yeah, RSVP. 
I don't know. I'm not a VP. I just know reserve something. But he said, I've made a reservation for this world. Only he knows the time and the day. Because you usually have in those RSVPs, this is the date and the time and the place. So he says, I have reserved the day and the time and I'm the only one that knows when it is. And right now, the only reason this world is spinning and we are all here is because I'm preserving it. My word, it says, holds everything together. The word of God formed everything that was nothingness and by his word it appeared and was so. This same word is holding it together until the reservation day comes and then for fire is what it's reserved for. Not for a steak dinner but for fire in the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So that day is coming. Those scoffers are a part of this perdition and ungodly men. And there was something I wanted to tell you about on that. And I got to find it. Oh well. It ain't going to matter. Because here's the main important key. I have some words written down like apalue. Which you remember who's coming out of the bottomless pit. The very bad guy is called Apollyon. Well, the same words are used here for this reserved unto judgment of perdition of ungodly men of what's going to happen. And, and it, it's a metaphor. It means to be cut off. It means to cut off completely unto an eternal judgment. It's, it's an eternal cutting off and a judgment that is to come. And why it's a play on words is because the word for covenant relationship with God is the same word in the Hebrew, karath, which means to cut a covenant. When God would cut a covenant with us, that God makes a covenant relationship. And God, I'm saving that for the next time. Because there's something else that gets cut off as a part of the covenant that was made with Abraham, and we'll get to that the next time. But so that metaphor of what is cut off is saying that you're going to be cut off because you didn't believe in me you're not a part of the circumcision so you're going to be cut off in a different way and it's going to be an eternal thing but beloved see he's he's telling us and those who are scoffers beloved he loves them that's the burden of the word of the lord to those that are even scoffing you love them and you want them to change And he says, the thing that you're forgetting when you said that everything's going on as it always has is this. God's a spirit. God doesn't know time. A day with the Lord is like a thousand years or a thousand years is like a day. You see, time didn't exist in the pre-world, in eternity when God the Father and God, the Son and God, the Holy Spirit was gathered together and said, said, let us make an earth and make man in our image. And we're going to need a Savior. So the Lamb of God was already put into the plan before the foundation of the earth, it says. There was no time. But when God created the heavens and the earth, then it says 
down about four more verses that evening and morning became day one. So after the earth was created and it began to rotate on that axis, time began. And that was day one. And when this destruction of the earth happens, time ends again and it's into eternity again. Time is only for us as this world turns. And he says, what you're not remembering when you're saying that God is not responding is that God isn't bound by time. How many of you have said, is it really Thursday already? Or is it really, you know, this date? Am I really, at this time it's already came? That's kind of like when it comes up with God because it's like he, he doesn't have time to keep track of. He's eternal. But he's got a point in time where all of this is reserved for. And he said, what you forgot is he's not being slack over his promises he didn't forget it. He didn't say, well, I'm not going to do that. I changed my mind. No, he is not slack. And he is waiting patiently right now. Why has this world not been destroyed as of yet? What does it say? He is long-suffering. He knows he's made the promise. He's not slack and forgetful. But he's long-suffering toward us. What's he not willing He's not willing that anyone should perish, but what? All come to him. We had four precious souls came to him last week, didn't we? What would have happened if God had not been slack concerning his promise? What would have happened if God would have got mad at the scoffers like I do? You know, our flesh, whenever people scoff and laugh and push us, we want to react, don't we? God doesn't because he's patient and he's long suffering and he's not willing that any should perish and he knows who still has a heart that might turn to him. And so he says, dear scoffers, it's for your benefit that I haven't came yet. And you can laugh at me all you want, but I'm hoping that one day you hear the burden of the word of the Lord to you and you change your mind before it's too late. And for that reason... I'm going to let the world keep spinning. And I'm going to let you keep on scoffing. Because every day, the things that's going on in this world is turning hearts towards me. And I will let this world spin until that last heart will believe in, in my son and confess him before everyone and be baptized into him. And when the last person of faith comes, then I will show you that I wasn't slack concerning my promises of son man countenance he says but that day will come like a thief in the night in the night there'll be a great noise a roar and all of it will begin dissolving with the elements will melt with a fervent heat and i tried to look that up and this is the only time that word's used so i can't imagine how hot that is that everything in this earth and the works therein would be burned up and dissolved into nothingness but he says that day will come and go ahead and give me the next slide therefore since all of these things be dissolved he's got a question for everyone what manner of persons ought you to be as we live and walk in this generation shouldn't we ought to be in in holy conduct and godliness and how about this shouldn't you be hastening that day 
I always was kind of afraid to hasten that day as I was younger. You know, I was like, ooh, I don't know about that one. But now that I'm getting older, I'm seeing what they're trying to put our kids through and our families through and what the evil of this world is trying to connive against all of us. I'm hastening that day to come. I'm beginning to pray, Lord, come. And then you know what I found out? There's a special crown. It says, reserved for those who are praying and hastening the day of the Lord to come to see it be fulfilled and are wanting Him and desiring Him to come and get you. So I'm going to pray even the more because might as well get the crown with it, right? But He says, hasten it to be because they will happen. And what He was trying to say is that as sure as that flood, don't you remember how it started? He said, did you willfully forget something? The flood. You said nothing's ever changed. The flood did. And so just as assured as the flood came, my word says just as assured will I come again that second time. But I'm going to wait until all of you have a chance to repent. And then it's, Closes out in verse 15 that says, I take all the ridicule and the scoffing because the long suffering of the Lord is salvation. And so as we close this day and our praise team comes on back up, the Lord has waited for salvation for someone. That's the reason this thing's still going. And just as sure, just just as much as we can trust it's going to happen because the flood did come. And Damascus and Tyre did get conquered. And the Lord says, because you have seen the things that I have told about in the past were true, you can rest your hat on the fact that what I've told you will happen, it will happen. So I pray that this day, that you don't wait. That if you have not believed in the Lord Jesus and confessed and been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, will you do it now while this world is still spinning and don't delay? In Acts 24, got a guy up there, his name's Felix. And in Acts 24, Paul's been imprisoned and he's jailed and he's in chains and he's telling everybody about the burden of the word of the Lord that's been given to him. He's been telling them about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the two destinations of the soul that's the only ones. And by faith in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. And as he reasoned, Felix called him up. Felix was governor and he had a wife named Drusilla. And they said, we want to hear this guy. Everybody's talking about what he's been saying. We want to hear him. And so they called Paul and they brought him in in his chains and he began preaching to them and he began reasoning. You see, he was reasoning. He wasn't demanding and pressuring. He was reasoning, trying to get them to think. And it, he reasoned with them about righteousness, temperance, and judgment. Kind of the things that the Lord said he wanted in the beginning when we was reading there. When, uh, wouldn't you do this? Don't lie to each other. Don't think evil of each other and have your court systems to do what's right. Have, that's righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Felix trembled, and he answered and said, Go thy way at this time. Maybe in a more convenient season, I will call you to talk to me more. In other words, he's, 
to the burden of the word of the Lord that came to him, he said, not now. And we don't know why he said not now. Was it because it was in front of all of these other folks that was there in the courtroom and, and in his governorship? I don't know why he said not now. But I know that the word of, the God, of God caused him to tremble, caused him to think about it. But for some reason, he said not today. In a more convenient time, I'll call. But I want you to know I've looked in the word of God and I haven't found where it said that he ever found a more convenient time. The word of the Lord says today is the day of salvation. And the Lord has been waiting all of this time for you and allowed things to go on so that you would have that opportunity today. So would you please accept that invitation and that opportunity. And Father, we commit... Thy word to our hearts. And Father, I'm so thankful that you are a just God, a true God, and that you continue to have patience on wretches like me so that we might have the opportunity to say yes to the gift of everlasting life that you gave through sacrifice of your lamb the Lord Jesus Christ on that cross by whose blood we are saved and we are washed and we are forgiven and that blood bought the body of Christ his church so father thank you for not listening to the scoffers and having patience and loving us that much and father for those of us who have made that decision I pray that we obey the second half of Peter's invitation to us, and that is, what manner of men ought we now to be in all of our walk of life? May we live it unto you and your glory, Father, so that they will see that in us and be that lesson that gives them the, the idea that I want to be like that. I want to be a Christian. So, Father, thank you being patient with us and we love you and we praise you in Jesus name. Amen.